Datages friends and family, welcome back to this part two of the Entrepreneur's Corner episode featuring Deba Douglas. If you missed part one, please hit pause, go back, check it out, and rejoin us when you're done. If you recall, we wrapped up part one with a cliffhanger where I was about to share two pieces of crazy advice with Deba for running her business. Stick around and you'll hear them now. Number one, stop accepting incoming calls. Shut up. <laughs> I, I, you, you think I'm nuts right now. Everyone thinks I'm nuts when I say this. I haven't, except every now and then randomly, I haven't taken an incoming business call in eight years. Every once in a while, there's an exception, but it is very much an exception and not the rule. You will find, and you, when I say that, your head is spinning in circles right now. I can tell by your eyes. How could I do that? That's impossible. It's not impossible. If you break it down, you can actually provide a greater level of accommodation and courtesy to the people that you're working with by empowering one of your administrators to run your schedule for you. Make one of those people give them ownership of your time and say, this is my time. I'm going to keep my calendar completely accurate, completely up to date. I mean, I go so far as every one of my workouts for the week is on my calendar before that week begins. Every activity with my children, every activity with my family, those things go on the calendar first. And then the business time gets scheduled in around that. But I empower my administrator to make it seem like she is accommodating the schedule of the person that I'm trying to talk to rather than making it seem like that she is working around my schedule. Yeah. So I have a question for you because we are, I don't have like a storefront because everything is literally in-house. I would love for someone else to take over these incoming calls. What would that look like if we don't really have an office and we're all kind of working virtually? Yeah, a very good question. I'm sure many people in the friends and family are asking this same thing right now because so many businesses have become more and more virtual. My business has been completely virtual for, again, eight or 10 years, and it does work effectively. It is a shift in mindset and a shift in the way you work with people. What it really comes down to is what are your communication platforms? What are the entry points that your clients are using to get a hold of you uh, when they need to? So let's Talk about that for a moment. Maybe I can give you some more specific guidance. How are people finding your organization and how are people finding you specifically when they need to reach you within your organization? Yeah. So they're finding me on social media platforms or mm -hmm. word of mouth and they can email me or they can send me a message on social media or they call me directly. So let's talk about each of those three. Let's consider those for now. Let's call those your three access points. And you're talking about an outbound, well, it's an inbound, but it's a sales relationship. It's a marketing function with someone that you don't yet have an established business relationship with. So let's set aside for a moment the people that you already have an established business relationship. And let's focus on what sounds like it could be the greatest challenge for you, which is new business and new customers. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about your three entry points. Number one, find you through social media. So 
delegate your social media account. I don't run the Datages social media account. People track us down. I hired a social media manager. Her name is Anna. She's amazing. She is me. She does everything for me in the social media ecosystem. I don't touch it. I can look at it, but I'm hands off. I don't do anything within that space. If you establish very clear, what I refer to as funnels, I didn't come up with that term. This is a sales term. If you establish a clear funnel as to what are the steps when somebody reaches out to Deba in social media, they're actually reaching Deba's designee, whoever is responsible for Deba's social media account. How much of your time could you free up if you never, ever, ever had to look at your social media again? Be great. It'd be Fantastic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to live in that world? That's a terrible world. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. So let someone else live in that world for you. So we've just answered num gateway number one. Gateway number two, email you. Very simple. They send you an email. I wouldn't delegate my personal email. Maybe you are comfortable with that. Maybe you have someone administratively that you're willing to say, I'm just going to let them handle it. You can create, this is an IT thing. You talk to your IT people you can create an automatic forward if you want to partially delegate. So you see your email, but it automatically goes to somebody else too. You can set up a forward so that every email that comes in, or if you have a separate email address for new incoming inquiries, you can treat how that email is handled differently than your primary email. So it's really about the, the shingle that you're hanging out there to the world. No one ever said we have to have one email address. You could have 10 email addresses, all of which are you, but aren't really you. The customer has a feeling that they're emailing you, but they're actually emailing someone you've designated to handle that. And likewise, if, if the email is coming directly to you and you decide you want to stay in that loop because you want to navigate and direct where that email goes and you want to be the front line, there's nothing wrong with that. Have the email come in. As soon as it comes in, you decide where it goes, but you delegate. There's the magic word again. Delegate handling of that response to someone else. Even if you have to be part of the response, you don't spend your time trying to reconnect with that person. Because think about every business call that you have. How much time do you spend on the phone versus how much time are you spending just logistically trying to schedule that call? I'm guessing the ratio is probably like 20, 30%, meaning you're spending 20 or 30% of the productive time you'd actually spend on the phone, just trying to coordinate schedules and sending five emails back and forth before you ever even get on the phone with that person. Why does Deba need to do that? So don't take that on yourself. Let somebody else handle that. And again, if you're not accepting the communication coming to you, you're letting it come in, letting it be processed, and then initiating the communication on your own terms and on your own timeline, you've just become a lot more efficient in doing that. And your third point was incoming phone calls. No one has my phone number. Uh, no one. I don't have a phone number that is published to the outside world. We don't have a business phone number for my company. For your company, being a customer service company that's focused in a B2C space, you absolutely have to have an incoming phone line, but phone numbers today are virtual. They don't ring to a phone that's plugged into somebody's wall in the office. They can ring anywhere on the planet you want to in any format you want to. It can ring through to a phone. It can ring through to a cell phone. It can ring through to a computer. 
it can go anywhere you want it to go. So explore the technologies that are out there and find the one that streamlines your business the most. I like that. I think it's like you're saying these things and it's so basic, but it's just me taking the time to really dive into, again, releasing some of that ownership and trusting the people to do it. So I have to get to the point where I can trust someone to take that on. And it's about trusting the people and also it's about trusting the systems and building the systems that can empower you to be able to trust the people because you've put a system around them that has some resiliency and some redundancy so that you're not so dependent on any one person that the system could break if that person doesn't do their job right. I like it. I like that. You just released a lot of my angst of wanting to scale, but I have to understand like, that means you have to let go. So it's, I think it's not the team. It's Deba mentally saying you can let go, put some better systems in place where you know it's more plug and play, focus on plug and play applications than who this particular person is. Absolutely. And I'm going to come to the final point now that I was going to give you. And this is another one you may, your jaw may drop again. Don't establish office hours. Do not be in the office for prescribed time periods particularly if you're working in a virtual setting. No one should know when you start work and no one should know when you stop work. If you can set up these systems the way I described and have someone administratively handle and field the incoming inquiries, you may just be giving the perception that you're busy and you are working into the fold, into your schedule, a time that's mutually convenient for you to talk to whomever you need to talk to when in reality, you may be on vacation and no one ever needs to know. Man, this is so powerful. This is like gems that you're like trying to figure out in your head, but to have a platform where you're able to truly talk about it and dive deep into just surface. These are like those 3 a.m. ideas that pop in your head. And then by the time it's 6 a.m. you're getting up, you forget about, okay, let's work on applying these. But I really want to focus for 2024 to really apply more delegation, having more admin support, really working on the connection with me where they don't really have to be talking to me, but they're talking to me. Yeah. And the, the idea of being able to free yourself up to live a lifestyle that you want to live while running an effective business, the freedom is in the framework. Yeah. If you build a rigid framework, you create freedom for yourself and for others within your team. Things become automatic. They don't have to think about certain things. They don't have to have so many dependencies upon others so they can operate with a lot more degrees of freedom. Wow, this was so good. Chad, you're amazing. <laughs> you are amazing, seriously. So uh, let's turn to something that may be a little bit of a uh, less uh, fun subject. I know that you've expressed concerns regarding legal and liability matters. Uh, that's part of business, right? Let's delve into, you know, are there specific experiences you've had thus far that are cautionary tales for you that are creating its perspective for you? Or is this just a general concern? Help me understand your concerns so I can help you set them aside. Yes, I think it's a little bit of both. There are 
things that I worry about and things that have been brought to me because we are working with people that are putting a lot of money into these investments. We are dealing with the market. And yes, I may be able to give you a hold your hand through this entire process, but I can't control the market. I can't control making sure there's a buyer that comes to your property that wants to buy your property. So I'm always worried for what type of legality, what type of wording do I need to have in place? Like right now we have a wording, you know, that as soon as they join the course, there's something that they sign to say that, you know, Deba and our course, we are not held liable for any money that you may spend. We're only here to guide. Um, we also put in place that you don't have to use our contractors. We're not liable for our contractors because these are third-party vendors, but there's still that onus of, I mean, I did recommend that contractor. If that contractor doesn't do what they're supposed to do, like how can I maneuver in a way with the legality to protect myself? I just keep thinking, I don't want to be sued and miss like one word or one sentence that I forgot to put into. Yeah, no, these are wise perspectives. And as the late great Cobain said, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. So it's worth being a little bit paranoid, but let's turn paranoia into something a little bit more productive. Let's just turn it into acknowledgement rather than paranoia. Because one, you aren't really a real estate professional until you've been in a lawsuit. So it's just going to happen. And it's a sign that you've achieved a level of success that you're on the, the radar screen. The fact that you are susceptible or a target, I guess you could say, for something of that nature means you've arrived. So just accept it as a reality. There's no reason to fear it. It's going to happen. I promise you it will. So you're going to get sued. Accept that as a fact. That doesn't mean you should be inviting it upon yourself. And it doesn't mean you can't be smart about protecting yourself along the way. So first and foremost, I'm going to provide a disclosure that I'm not providing any legal advice. And that's actually my first tip to you. Do not ever provide legal advice and make sure that you are very clear that you are never providing legal advice. But even in saying that, that's not a safeguard in and of itself. You're still going to create expectations. Expectations are a bitch. When people have unmet expectations, they get frustrated, they get upset, they get angry, they lash out. It's, you know, prepubescent behavior, but it's prepubescent behavior we never get rid of or outgrow as human beings. So you just have to understand and expect the very worst of what human nature dictates because you're going to encounter it. And particularly in our post-COVID world where people want to blame somebody else and offlay accountability onto someone else. I managed to go for the first 23 years of my career with no litigation. In the last two and a half years, I've been party to seven. The world has changed. It's a fact and there's no way around it. Liability is a reality and it is a cost of doing business. Let me try to give you a few quick pointers to, that can help decrease your risk and take a little bit of the target off of your back. Number one, delegate responsibility, as we talked about earlier, but be very cautious about delegating authority. Don't let anyone else in your organization sign a legal document that can bind you to it you as an individual or you as an organization. I sign every single contract in our company. I never let somebody else sign it. I sign every change order. I sign every proposal. Anything that can authorize an expenditure, my signature goes on that document. 
And we've created a standardized set of terms and conditions for every vendor that we work with. And the vendor must sign those terms and conditions before we engage with them and includes language that says only Chad Hagel can authorize expenses. No one else can. And it has to be in writing and it has to have a signature so that somebody can't claim, oh, well, Billy Joe Bob from your construction department sent me an email. And in Billy Joe Bob's email, it said, order 3,000 units of blank. And so I'm charging you for 3,000 units of blank. Don't let somebody do that forcibly disempower people to be able to do that and forcibly communicate to the outside world that you have disempowered people from being able to do that. We have written into every email that goes out the door, virtually speaking, from our company, a disclaimer at the bottom of the email. And it says, email correspondence shall not be considered binding upon Aventine Development Corporation or its affiliated entities. Email correspondence, one, should not be taken as official notice to proceed. Two, shall not obligate Aventine to pay for any goods or services provided. And three, shall not constitute receipt of any invoice or billing statement unless such invoice or statement has been properly submitted in accordance with any agreement between Aventine and the billing party. All agents of Aventine, including but not limited to, and I go on to define every category of person that works for us, are independent consultants regardless of title and have no right to obligate Aventine in any legal or financial matters. Such obligations can only be created by written agreement of Aventine signed by a duly authorized officer of Aventine. All vendors, contractors, or consultants of Aventine should refer to the terms and conditions for professional services or other written contracts or service agreements executed between Aventine and such parties for applicable guidelines and procedures related to provision of services, authorizations, and billing matters. Deep breath. So you can hear in that, and one of the things my father told me is you can read the history of a company by reading one of its contracts. You can hear everywhere we've been screwed along the way by someone saying, but you, but you, but you, we've tried to address every one of those circumstances in a proactive manner, rather than just waiting for it to happen and then trying to solve the problem when it happens. Because every one of those things that I covered has happened at some point, and I promise it's going to happen to us again. It's probably going to happen to you as well. It's the price of doing business. Your heart's yep. in the right place, but hey, you know, there's people out there that they're- As one of my attorneys told me yesterday, because I'm actually squeezing in one more litigation this year, anyone can sue anyone for any reason in this country. It's just wow. going to happen. It's funny because I, being a, being a realtor, I heard that on and on again, on and on again. So my second year as a realtor, I've been a realtor going on five years now, but my second year as a realtor, I was sued by a young lady that I'd worked with. I've helped her buy a house, but she never saw me because I was pregnant during that time and it was during COVID. So I would just send people out to show her the houses, do all the paperwork for her. And she, all she knew was just my voice. She sued me. And it was really funny because when I looked at the writing, it was a handwritten uh, civil suit. And she said she was suing me because I was African-American and that I didn't like working with African-American. So you could imagine when we walked in the courtroom, how she saw my face and was like, oh, she's African-American too. Thank God the judge threw it out. But you're right. People will sue for any reason because they just feel like it's the time to sue. And, you know, thank God that judge threw it out. But yeah, I got sued because I was African-American. 
Yeah. And, you know, you shouldn't seek litigation by any means because the judicial system is inefficient, unpredictable, and, and expensive. And it really has nothing to do with the truth at the end of the day. But you shouldn't be afraid of litigation either. And you just have to go into it well prepared, as it sounds like you did in that circumstance, and ready to do what you need to do to protect your rights. The life of having a business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It is a cost of doing business for sure. You know, we'll, we'll ha actually have another new episode of Datages, which will be coming up in early 2024, that'll be focused on sensitive business communications, handling negotiations, disputes, things like that. So it's something that you can uh, listen in for, for some, some more specific advice on these kinds of topics uh, along the way. And I'm probably going to share some insights from some of my 2023 litigations for you and for the rest of the Dadages friends and family to benefit from those experiences. Yeah, I'm going to look forward to listening to that because I think that's going to be very insightful because you just don't know what possible ways you could be sued or people could come after you. So it's always good to hear from others and how they dealt with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that these topics that we've covered about your business have been helpful. Are there any other really burning questions for you on topics that we haven't covered that I can, can address for you? No, the, I think my only question that I would have for you is you've been in the business for a while. You've kind of seen the ugly, the good, the bad, any advice for someone that is just getting started, you know, a little bit more about my business, kind of where I'm going, any advice that you could give? I think the real key is, uh, it comes back to some of what I was talking about before, really understand your, not only what we talked about in terms of mission, vision, and values, but really drill down on what is your core competency and make sure that you're always gravitating back to that core competency. What makes you the best at what you do isn't the same as what makes someone else good, even if they're doing the same thing. There's no piece of advice that I can give you or that anyone else can give you that relates to a different business that you can apply 100% to your business because only you know the fundamental nature of your business. And you know what makes you great at what you do. And just stay true to that. Focus on that. Keep coming back to that and use that as the barometer for any of these choices or pathways or directions that you're looking to take. And I think as long as you're doing that, you'll steer yourself in the right direction because I can already tell you I have a really good understanding of what you're doing and more importantly, why you're doing it. And you just go with your gut. You know, you have good instincts. I can tell that just from the time we've spent together. And I think you should continue to rely upon and continue to trust those instincts because I think they're going to serve you well. Thank you so much. I think sometimes when you're in this world and sometimes I'll catch myself and maybe it's the imposter syndrome in my head, but I'm like, okay, I've never been here before. Let's think about it. Is this the right way to do it? But you're right. Just staying true to my morals, staying true to my faith and what really yearns me to get up every morning. Just focus on that. Yeah. And speaking of that, I really wanted to kind of close our time today talking more about impact, talking about the impact that you have on the people around you. Because I know from a few of the stories you've shared with me offline, and, and it'd be great if you could kind of highlight a couple of those examples here, the truly positive impact that you've had on your clients and your students, the people that you're working with and helping to empower in this space. Yeah, I think that's what continues to keep me 
uplifted and guided and help and and wanting to continue to empower other people is because I'm looking back on my life and when I decided to jump into real estate at that time no one in my family were in investors no one in my family were doing anything now looking back 5 years later my brother-in-law is an investor. He has three properties now. I have another brother-in-law in Houston and he has two properties. One, he does Airbnb in Houston. Um, even my immediate brother, he has six properties since joining doing real estate. My sister is now under contract on a property. Um, I have an aunt that's now an investor. Just being able to empower just my little small ecosystem of community is powerful. And now being able to see other mentees that have trusted me along the process that can see it and empowers them to realize that, oh my gosh, I can do this too. I can become an investor. And most of these people have regular jobs, you know, W-2 workers that never thought this was even possible, never thought that this was even something that they could do. They got used to the institutional system of working and working and waiting to retire, but they decided to trust me and guide them through. And now they're thinking life differently. They see life in color and they're more creative. I have one mentee that, you know, most people get flips and do a flip because they want to go on these lavish trips or buy these nice cars. She just wanted to pay her bills from going through cancer. And she was just so happy that she made enough money on her first flip that she was now able to pay back some of her doctor bills so she can continue to run tests to make sure that she stays in remission. But, and it's things like that that's powerful, that you never know what people are going through and how powerful it can be where you just give them a little bit of hope and show them that you too can do this. And it's real estate is not going to make you rich. It's not going to make you wealthy. The first property, we know it won't, but it will change your life. Yeah, that's amazingly powerful. And some of those examples you gave, especially the woman that you helped to be able to, to cover her expenses associated with cancer. I mean, you, you don't really often take a step back and understand the impact you can have on somebody's life by helping them to grow professionally. But that's truly transformative and incredible. I know that we spoke a, a little bit ago, you shared one example of uh, bias that exists in the real estate community. Uh, I find that it's still an industry that that really suffers from a lack of diversity. I think diversity is one of the strongest forces in any organization or, or community. Uh, we're actually going to have a whole series on diversity in February of 24 uh, around Black History Month and really highlight some of these topics and what they mean across social, professional, and personal environments. You want to share a little bit about your background and coming to the United States from a family with African roots and also how you've managed, as you described it to me, you find a very wide array of minorities and a broad mix of people who are gravitating toward your system. And I imagine a lot of women as well that you're empowering along the way. Uh, maybe you can talk about your background and how it, it translates to the impact that you're having in the community and creating that diversity today? Yes, absolutely. So I um, am Nigerian American. Out of my four siblings, I was the only one that was born in Nigeria. And I came to the United States with my mom and dad when I was two years old. And so just intrinsically, I've always been someone that just finds a way to make it happen. Growing up in a household that is both parents from Nigerian descent, there really wasn't room for excuses. There really wasn't room for, oh, you can't. We 
found a way to make it happen. There was just, we just do it. You work harder, you work smarter. By the end of it, you just learn to figure it out, right? Growing up in a household like that, you just push through, through adversity, through the good, the bad, the ugly. I remember there were times my parents were entrepreneurs as well, and they would have contracts that would cancel last minute. And we were depending on that income to cover the expenses for the household. And those are the things that kind of kept pushing me because I would see how my parents dealt with it. They would say, okay, we went through it, but we got to keep moving. My dad would always say the downfall of a man is never the end. You just got to stand up, shake it off and move on. And to this day, that's the same way I look at anything that I go through. Like, hey, it's just for a moment. We're going to figure this out and we're going to regroup and shift. And doing that has really helped me throughout whatever I've gone through and even given me the opportunity to take risks because I've seen my parents take so many risks. And me being in education for 16 years, I was already in my career. Literally my trajectory was already set up of where the next step I would be in my career but it wasn't enough for me. And I kept yearning for more. And my husband was amazing because he was like, you should do more if that's what you want to do. So let's figure this out financially, how this would look. And let's jump into that role. He's Nigerian American, but more or less grew up in an African American household. So as we're parenting and, you know, having kids, the way that we see the world is a little bit differently. Uh, there's a lot of oppression that he deals with more than I would because I didn't grow up in a household that really dealt with understanding true black history. Like we knew about it, but we it wasn't ingrained in our heart. It wasn't ingrained in our conversations. But as we're parenting, I see those things kind of come up and we just have those discussions. We talk about it because I never want my kids to have any type of limiting beliefs of what they're capable of doing and what they can't do because of their race. Yeah, you're black. That's not going to change tomorrow. That's not going to change. Yes, it's not going to change. But who you are can continue to evolve and become better. So let's focus on being a better person. Let's focus on dealing with hard work and having grit so that no matter what happens, you just go through it. Like, for example, there may have been times that I may have not gotten a job because of my skin color. My parents would say, you just weren't the best candidate. So I didn't let that deal with me. I let that look at, okay, I need to do better. I need to make sure I know exactly what to speak about. I need to make sure I'm more prepared for the interview. Compared to my husband, it was more or less like, oh, it's because I'm African-American. But when you say things like that, you don't take the onus. You don't take accountability. You stop yeah, those can be very corrosive thoughts, yes. right? Yeah. And it kind of yeah. lets you stay, you stay there, yeah. but there's no growth to that. So we're very intentional with trying to create an environment for our kids to just say, you got to have the grit, regardless if you didn't get the job because you're African-American. That probably wasn't the job for you. That's not where God wanted you to be anyways. You wouldn't want to be in that hostile environment. So let's shake it off and let's work harder so that the next job, there's no other way that they're going to choose a candidate but you, or you create your own business where that doesn't even matter either. So it's kind of one of those things that it just taught me to just keep pushing through. And yes, in real estate, and I'll be honest with you, Chad, I don't see racism as much as I did when I was in education. I definitely saw it as in race. I definitely saw it more when I was a principal than in any other platform, any other career I've had, because that was one reason why maybe I didn't move up to going to central office because I was African-American. I didn't really have those connections of who I know and those type of things. So those things did hinder me. And then now when I got into real estate and became an investor, 
I kind of put the onus on me. If I don't want the property because it doesn't make sense to me, I'm the one that kind of sets the tone of what works and what doesn't. It's not because I'm black, not because of any of those nature. Now there has been moments, I'll be honest, when I may have gone to a bank for a loan and I'm like, I look great on paper. Everything looks good. And there'll be reasons why they'll say, oh, you don't qualify. And I'll sit on it. And a lot of that, maybe sometimes I may consider, okay, maybe because I'm African-American, it may be, you know, but I just move on to another bank because you just keep going. And I think it's really more the mindset and you're thinking of the growth mindset than just the fixed mindset. Because when you stop thinking and say it's because you're African-American, you stop thinking of ways to figure out the problem and solve the problem. And to some degree, this comes back to what we talked about before about the empowerment of being an entrepreneur. You talked about a contrasting setting in education, which is really about politics and pedigree because of the bureaucracy that exists. Whereas as an entrepreneur in the real estate profession, it's really about professionalism and performance and you can control those things. And so I think that it becomes more of a meritocracy than in some of the other politicized environments like you were alluding to. I think, you know, again, you've gravitated to an environment where you can exploit the value of your talents and you acknowledge and recognize those things that might've held you back in other environments. And you're able to sort of set those aside and make them a non-factor with the, the, where you found yourself. And it sounds like you've done a very masterful and mindful job of making those choices and pursuing those paths in your life. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, it's really fun to just see what you can create and how you can empower others. And it's empowering to look back and say, hey, I just follow God's obedience. And it's really changed not just my life, everyone around me. That's fantastic. You know, you're able to find that faith component uh, behind everything you're doing. That certainly adds a, a texture and an element to everything that makes it that much more meaningful for you as an individual. And you talked about this generational perspective. You know, this is something we love to talk about here at Datages. You obviously saw all of this in real time with your parents. And it sounds like they did a good job of exposing you in the right doses in the right way to what they were dealing with as professionals and as adults that help prepare you to have that same sense of strength and independence now yourself as an entrepreneur. Are you able to carry that forward? And do you find that being able to be effectively passed on to your children and setting that example for them as well? And how are you achieving that? Yes, absolutely. One thing that my parents did when I was a child and with my siblings, they shared everything. They shared the good, they shared the ugly, they shared when they lost jobs. And we were able to be right there front and center and see how they dealt with it. So I try to do that with my kids where, hey, I bought this house. It's not moving. I don't know what mommy's going to do, but we're just going to figure it out. And they're able to see how I deal and cope because I think being an educator, being a principal for sure, I got a chance to see a lot of kids that lack coping skills, that lacked, okay, when things don't go my way, how am I going to handle those? And I think those are really what conforms and makes you who you are. So I really try to really give my kids like a little bit of a rope. Let's see how far you can go because I'm not going to be here forever. And I don't want you to feel like I'm coddling you and just making sure life is perfect. No, I want you to kind of feel some of that pressure and feel some of that uncomfortableness because the, the more you feel it, 
the more when you get into a position like I was in, that I was in my career and I said, this is not where I want to be, the easier it was for me to say, I'm just going to shift and try something different. Because that takes a lot of boldness, a lot of courageousness to just say, I'm just going to do something different. I didn't go to college for this, but I'm just going to figure it out. And I want that for my kids. I don't want them to be 35 and figure out, oh, I, this is not what I want to do try new things often. And I do push them a lot. And they're like, oh, mommy, I don't want to do it. But I know if I learn, if I teach you how to do things that you're not comfortable with now, you're going to be even better as an adult. Yeah. Helping them to embrace and lean into adversity is so key and uh, not hiding them from the truth. This uh, reminds me of our recent interview with uh, Jesse Kanzer, who was writing about the war in Ukraine and Vladimir Zelensky and talking about her children and not hiding them from the realities of the war, because that's something that's happening. And it's very personal to her being of Ukrainian descent and having ties to Ukraine. It's part of their life and it's part of our reality. Everyone has to con contend with those things that are real for them. It doesn't mean that our children need to be exposed to every evil in the world because thank God, they won't see every evil in the world during their lifetime. But the ones that are a real part of their real life are the ones that they should really be exposed to. And it sounds like you're doing a great job of that. And I think that it's great advice and perspective for the, the rest of the friends and family. It's fun. I'm happy now I have more time with them because when I was a principal, I was always gone and now I can really pour into them. Absolutely. And you've expressed to me that one of your ultimate long-term goals is to be a school bus driver. It is. Uh, that probably <laughs> isn't on anyone else's bucket list. Can you explain <laughs> that a little bit better for the friends and family? Yeah. So I think I, I'm always rooting for the underdog. So when I was an educator, a lot of the issues that I dealt with, especially being a principal, was issues on the school bus. And I know the school bus drivers could do the best they could, but you know, hey, they have to make a living somehow. So my ultimate goal after all this real estate craziness is over, I want to go to random school districts and I want to drive the school buses. And while I'm driving the school buses, I want to empower the kids, the good kids that are like, hey, they want to go to school. They want to do something great. I want to empower those kids. And the bullies, I want to check them. I want to tell them, hey, this is not the place. This is not how we're going to do it. And kind of be the person. Not on my bus. <laughs> you know, not it's not happening. And I feel yeah. like eventually I probably will get fired because I'm going to literally stand up for the bulls, stand up to these bullies, but I'm ready for it. And I'll just go to another school district after that and just keep going because I feel like when we are in these jobs that we really don't like and we really feel yeah. like, hey, we just have to make a living. Sometimes we overlook our values. Sometimes we overlook our integrity. And I just want to be one of those people that say, no, we're not standing for that. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And I just want to kind of be the person that takes care of the underdogs and those great kids on the bus. I love that. And I love it because it's so much an allegory for life. But for you, this is not an allegory. You are literally talking about going and driving the bus and as you shared with me, intervening early, rooting for the underdogs, stopping the bullies, the superhero of Bus Route 123. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, I really, I really want to do that. Crazy. Well, Deba, aim high and we'll be rooting for you in your quest to become a school bus driver. <laughs> Today has been a lot of fun. I hope that you've gotten value and meaning out of the time we've spent together and that it is helpful in growing your business. 
Uh, for those of our neighbors here in North Texas uh, who may want to connect with you, either in your realty business, they're looking for someone to help them with their own home, or who want to learn more about the business, how, how can people connect with Deba? Yes, you can connect with me on all social media platforms. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. LinkedIn and Facebook is Deba Douglas. Instagram is Deba Flips Texas. Um, you can reach out to me there. And I literally am the one that's going to be the one responding until I figure out this whole delegation world. But I would love to help anyone in the North Texas area with any real estate needs. Or even if you just want to consult about what your next step would be, I would love, love to be helpful and help you. Well, and as everyone can tell by listening to you, you've got a lot of wisdom, a lot of experience and a really good heart in terms of wanting to help people and empower them in growing their own businesses and pursuing their goals. So I certainly hope people will take advantage of that, reach out to you and connect. And uh, to wrap up today, uh, as you know, one of the things that we try to embrace here at Datages is to preserve the legacy of the bad dad joke. And I did a little bit of homework on my own and found a great joke to, that fits very well with where we ended our discussion today. And it's all about being a bus driver. So Deba, do you know what the very worst thing is about being a bus driver? Hmm, I don't, I don't. It's everyone talking behind your back. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good yeah. one. <laughs> so that'll prepare you for your future as a bus driver when you finally get to cross that off your bucket list and, and go back to driving a school bus. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, I'll remind the Dadages friends and family until next time. Remember, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does. 